welcome to Neurodivergent Moments. Hello, everyone. How have you been? They can't answer us. <laughs> can't answer us, no. There'd be someone, if I know our listeners, there'd be a few people who have answered that question whilst alone on the train. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm fine, thanks. Yes, I'm oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> on this episode, we had Don Biswas. Yes, and he was amazing. Uh, we talked about neurodivergency and ethnicity, I think was the thing. We theme. did. We did. I w- I do want to flag up real quick before we forget. Uh, there's some trigger warnings in this. There is some talk about uh, suicide. So if that is something that you find uh, triggering, maybe skip this episode and come and join us another time. I don't know where it'll be in the pot. I, I give you the time codes, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, I think there might be a couple, so we're, it might be good to skip this whole one. Yeah. Um, but Don's an amazing comic. It's so so he's finally gets the recognition he deserves, but it's so underrated. I felt. Yeah, great one-liner, great economy of economy of language, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really fun to talk to him about his process because he's just so like blasé about it, and me and Joe are like, mm. no, no, it has <laughs> more than that, and he's like, I just kind of think. And it comes Thinking to me. of what would be funny and then I do the jokes. So, yeah, but they're so, yeah, they're so succinct yeah. and so, like, stuff that I would, like, I would do maybe, like, a two-minute bit, but he would just get all the ideas into into one one line. He's, yeah. a, he's a very clever man. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, should, we, should we just bring him straight in? Yeah, let's do it. Here's Don Biswas. Well, I've been having you on the podcast before, um, so apologies. We should have. No, no, thanks for having us. We finally got got you on. Um, we've known each other for ages, and uh, I love you. Are an amazing joke writer. Thank you very and much. And a brilliant and amazing comedian as as, as well. Um, and you also you have a few different diagnoses that have sort of. Do you want to just run through your diagnoses? Uh, yeah, um, I've got diagnosed uh, slightly autistic in two thousand and eight. Then I got diagnosed with. Uh, Official diagnosis for dyspraxia and ADHD a couple of years ago, or about a few years ago. Right, yeah. 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 You're a collector. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> I'm like, a collector. Because oh, so. I always remember you being, and I think now you have very good, as far as I'm aware, very good agent, who's, and now you're starting to get recognised as the brilliant comedian you are. But I remember you being too I hope this is appropriate to say, um, being too good for the gigs that you were doing. And I wondered whether some of that was sort of the sort of social barriers to you. Do you know what I mean? You were, yeah. you were brilliant and then you were doing sort of... I think it was a middle. lack of self-confidence. Can I just say a thing on a side note? It's When I met Joe, it was weird because Joe, I remember, fully political comedian... Now he talks about neurodivergence, which is great. And I used to talk a lot about neurodivergence. Now I talk more about politics. <laughs> we swapped each other's acts. We switched. So, yeah. So I'm going to become a white guy and you're going to become Asian. Possibly. <laughs> I was going to say that our theme this week is ethnicity, which was your choice. Yeah, and we've got yeah. two white people on a podcast talking about ethnicity. Yeah. Uh, talking about earlier about uh, the gigs. Yeah. I, w- I had no self-confidence. So, um, uh, I remember gigging with uh, you have to go at the store, and I was rubbish. I was doing it ten minutes. No self confidence. I wasn't ready either, and sometimes I had a lack of material. But yeah, but it's taken me ages to get there. I just I feel like I, in my own uh, stand up career, it takes 
for some people, they walk on and they know who they are as a person exactly. and they get it right away. I think it took, uh, like, uh, to be honest, I never lacked the self-confidence, but I did lack a sense of self for a long time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it takes sometimes it takes a little longer for some of us to get it. Uh, yeah, I totally recognize that. I feel the same way about my own career. It just took me a while to, like, figure it out. Yeah, same here. Yeah, just being comfortable with your own skin. Yeah, confidence is a huge thing. If you got it, it can, without sounding rude, it can make an average actor look really good. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, um, do do you feel that to, to to be maybe on the nose with our theme? Is that why did you lack that confidence? Uh, is it because of ethnicity? But is it, <laughs> but is it, is it, because, is it because of sort of like? Um, yeah, is it because of, of racism or is it because of um, ableism or is it a mixture of the two or what? What I think it's just uh, I didn't like coming out of my shell, really. Mm-hmm. I think, first of all, when I first started comedy uh, is when I got my autism diagnosis or mm-hmm. slightly autistic. And I think I never had the skill set. Yeah, it's interesting. So do you just to talk about the language around neurodivergency for a second? Uh, do when you say that you were diagnosed slightly autistic, <laughs> do you see yourself as slightly autistic? Hundred and ten percent. Okay, even more. So okay, uh, just real quick, Joe, how do you feel about the term slightly autistic? <laughs> yeah, why? Well, I, I mean, I'm not in charge of, of what people are calling themselves, but I, I, yeah, I guess it's. Um, I, I think it's, it's interesting that people are diagnosed as slightly. Well, my uh, what. Exact diagnosis, was, possible exhibiting, exhibiting possible features of mild Asperger's. Uh, stupid enough, I didn't chase it afterwards, like to have future appointments with the doctor. But oh, so they're saying it's possible that you might, yeah, or exhibiting mild features of Asperger's. So how long ago was that then? Two two thousand and eight. Right, yeah. As uh, two podcasters with a neurodivergent uh, podcast, we are happy to officially diagnose you as uh, fully yeah. autistic. We <laughs> really have that power, you yeah. You're welcome. Like <laughs> a ship's captain can marry people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> diagnose but, people. Um, whenever I do a disability gig, I, uh, I always show them my actual diagnosis. Just, oh, wow. Just to make sure that, look, is this the person you... And in some ways, that could be very neurodiverse itself. Because yeah. I think a neurotypical person or someone who... Who'll do anything just to get the gig? Wouldn't care. So. Yeah, I was. You come say- with, when you say you show what you have, like the the report. Yeah. Oh, you actually bring the reports. I, I, <laughs> I don't bring the report. There's a guy called Simon Minty. He's great. He does abnormally funny people. And I just email. I was doing a gig in um in America for Google. Even though I'm quite left wing, I mean, the money was too good. <laughs> but, but yeah, because and there are a lot of employees. The reason why I got the gig is a lot of their employees are autistic and Asian, and I showed him like the exact report. I copied and pasted it and. Yeah, you are autistic. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, because I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to be lying. So, yeah. Yeah. That is is the most autistic story I've ever heard. But my disagreement is with the term mild when when you've got that as an example. I only bring it it up not not to be like anyone saying anything wrong. Because like you said, however someone identifies is how they identify. But we have talked on the podcast how you've mentioned oh, when I said, people like, are I like think, I guess... slightly autistic. You're like, well, or partly autistic. It's like, what part of you? The bottom yeah, half, yeah. the top half. Yeah. Like... I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. I guess, like, I I, I think, you know, that's what even to- told. I think 
my issue broadly with the term mild and severe as terms yeah. is not that I think all autistic people are the same, but, because, but that I don't think any of them are bad. And I think when we talk about sort of sever- that language of severity, there's a sort of assumption that these are, but, you know, the way you are is bad. It's only a little bit bad, but it's yeah, bad. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That's the subtext of it. But, I, I um, think it's a spectrum, if anything. But I get where you're coming from because there are loads of uh, people in my workplace, like especially blokes, come up to me. Everyone's a little bit autistic, and uh, that's not true because uh, I've, I've absolutely struggled with autism and neurodivergence in general. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have to take a look at other people's perspectives. Yeah, no, that's a. Uh, I mean, a thing I've had of, that. Yeah, everyone's uh, a little bit autistic. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like everyone's a little bit ADHD. It's like sometimes I don't focus on a movie, and I'm like sometimes I can't send an email for weeks. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know what I mean. Like, and there's loads of that, like things where people might have like a trait of a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I like, maybe this is a crass example, but like. A lot of people have like experimented with their sexuality and had gay experiences. Yeah. That doesn't mean everyone is a little bit gay, you know, that gay yeah. people don't exist as a distinct group. Just going back to ethnic background, what is your what is your background? For those listening at home t- uh, uh I'm from I'm Bengali, so I'm from West Bengal, India. Okay. So that's my background, yeah. So my parents are both from Calcutta. Uh... And I have to go back in a few days to collect my mum from Calcutta. Because she's getting on a bit. Oh, that is one expensive trip. Luckily, she's paying. So, <laughs> are you going to get to stay for a couple of days in? Calcutta? Yeah, I'll stay a few days. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I mean, that would be intense if you fly all the way over yeah. here, there, pick her up, and then yeah. just get straight just get back on the plane. Come on, come on. <laughs> would you be jet lagged when you get back, or would it undo it coming back straight away? I, I think I, uh, I, it would be jet lagged. I'd be absolutely knackered. But you know. Yeah. What What are the um. Well, because a lot of um, representation of neurodivergent people is, in the mainstream media is white people. Mm. What what are the things that get missed because we only see white people in that representation? Uh, I think, I think uh, it's for me growing up. It was a we don't see it's the terrible combination, and I'm going to be honest here, of being Indian and being neurodiverse. It does not, and we don't see that enough. And then a lot of Maybe Indian people or immigrant people from immigrant backgrounds don't see it. So so we, we miss that because a lot of people, and this is not just white people, but many people who come from liberal families, they get diagnosed earlier. You can tell there's something wrong with them. Because it's a hidden disability, Indian people don't care or the older generation don't, mm. don't mm. really care. So it got, I got diagnosed until my 20s. I had a twin sister and they just assumed that I was developing later. Boys develop later than girls. They did not give a care. They did not care. As long as you get an education, that's all that matters. Is is it something about like the thought process of like uh, things are hard for everyone? Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. This is a very American idea, hundred percent. But like that whole like, hey, like it, it's not because you're dyspraxic, autistic, yeah. and ADHD. Yeah. It's just hard to be a a Bengali person living in Britain. Chin up, kid. Is that that's a hundred percent. And also because dyspraxia, the symptoms like you give up and stuff like that sometimes, you're lazy, you're untidy, you just come across as lazy. Uh-huh. So that's what they thought. They thought I was really lazy. Mm. Uh, I couldn't be asked to do anything. I didn't put the effort in compared to my siblings. Right. So, so. How do your parents feel, if I may ask, now that you have these diagnoses? Well, uh, 
My dad's no longer here, but my mum has the same diagnosis, I think, undiagnosed. Mm. So uh, she she's sort of like me. She's in her own world. Mm-hmm. So, But now she accepted it because I can't do anything else other than comedy. So, Right. So um, I used to push a trolley for a living as a porter, and my mum hated that because we're middle-class Indians. <laughs> and she says, don't tell anyone you push a trolley for a living. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So I got this joke in my set where I say that, my side hustle is to hire myself out to other pretend uh, to other middle class Indian kids just so I can make them look good in front of their parents. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, pushing the trolley for a living, slightly autistic, forty years old, lives with his mum. I'm not doing too bad, am I? Because <laughs> <laughs> there is that sort of cliche of. Um... Indian mums of, of sort of, you know, you have to be, a, we want my child to be a doctor or a lawyer. 100%. Is, is that is that the reality for your my family? My dad was or? an accountant, so he wanted me to become an accountant. So, yeah. So, yeah. And even when I've, after I got diagnosed, he says, have you still thought about doing a graduate scheme? And it was t- totally ridiculous. It's like, he was in sort of like denial. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, and he wasn't... He got happier towards the end when he found out I was doing stand-up comedy. But, you know, at first he just, what's the point? So. That's cool, though, that your parents support your comedy career. Like, was your mom on board when it when you started doing comedy? She wasn't at first. But the thing, the beautiful thing about having neurodivergence is a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been sacked from every job I've ever had. I've been sacked from two jobs, yeah? So... My parents know I can't do anything else. So that's brilliant. But if you're a well-paid doctor or accountant and you want to become a stand-up comedian in an Indian family, even if you're good at stand-up, it's going to be a big no-no because they that's know. That's interesting. Yeah, for me, I can't do anything else. So they don't really care now. So, <laughs> so they, 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 they've seen it. Like, long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. Oh, It's my sister. She's working a well-paid job. She's got a mortgage, yeah? I'm doing a podcast here today. <laughs> After this, I'm going to have an afternoon nap. And like, <laughs> my sister's working until like 12 o'clock at night. So, <laughs> and she's got kids. Not, dream. No, no disrespect to my sister. I mean, actually, I have to borrow money off her. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember you saying to me that it's sort of um, you, it, being neurodivergent means you're sort of out of the rat, rat race and sort of it yeah. gives you a sort of new perspective on, on things. Yeah, it's just, it, it's all my friends are on the spectrum and. A lot of them are not working. So the one thing they do have is to have a little bit of more freedom. I mean, some of them are on universal credit, so it's not great. But you get a lot more time to think. So, yeah, it, it's bullying in that respect. So mm. so I, I, I can't complain. But obviously, the downside is you're not earning much money either. Yeah, the most yeah. I've ever earned is like 13 grand a year. Oh, wow. Right. I've earned a little bit more now in comedy, but not much more, so... There's there's not much money in comedy. No, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Trying if we could have any corporate gigs, we yeah. will take them. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you could all sign up for our Patreon, yes. yeah, hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what? What? How did you get into comedy? From were you? Yeah. How did how did comedy come into your life? Just uh, I fell into it accidentally mm. as a dyspraxic person. Um, <laughs> uh, my sister. So my boss was doing an open mic night and he was doing it as a bet. It was at the Bedford in Ballum where they had Banana Cabaret. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all other comedy clubs are good as well, by the way. But <laughs> uh, yeah, and I thought I could do that. I signed up, wrote a few jokes at university. And a few months later, I went back to the Bedford and did my first gig. Oh, wow. And I was unemployed, so I had nothing else to do. I thought I was good when I first started, but apparently I was terrible. So uh, that's not, I remember you've, 
very new and you were good. I remember like is this I remember this thing it looked like a slight sort of neurodivergent take on it where you would tell a joke and it would get a laugh and then you go thank you yeah, and yeah. I'd get an extra <laughs> laugh and it was a really nice little bit where you'd have these one liners and then, then thank you very much yeah it's a bit too close I think I got the idea from Stephen Wright so oh he's there right oh and there's no one better than him so yeah yeah the thing is is you don't look or sound anything like Stephen Wright so no no one saw that no exactly yeah I feel like when we start comedy we're all always you start pulling from the people you admire most exactly and whether you're considered like someone who's like stealing their vibe Mm. It is it, just dependent on how good you are at impressions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean. Like, so I, I, like... I did that at the comedy store when I was doing my numerous open spots. I had my hair slipped back doing deadpan one liners, and a couple of acts after me was Milton Jones. Oh. <laughs> so I, I was sort of like stealing his acts. <laughs> so I wanted. I started out as a one liner merchant. Now I'm a political comic, so I think he wasn't too pleased. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so when you had your diagnosis. What it was, uh, or your your first diagnosis was that as a child or an adult? Or? As an adult, well, I tell you what happened was um, I got sacked from the job. Oh, I wasn't sacked. I was working as admin assistant at age twenty four, and I couldn't hack it. And I'm like, why can't I hack this job? And so then, as it gets a bit dark, I tried to commit suicide. Mm. I wanted more than several occasions, well, a couple of huge attempts because I thought I can't hack this job. Yeah. And my parents were not there for that. They wanted me to get another graduate job and stuff like that. So I had to phone my sister up and tell her that, um, look, I don't think I can carry on anymore. Uh, then um, she helped me, which was really lovely. And uh, then I kept going to work the other day and kept going to work and just forgot about it. Uh, I went to the doctors, obviously, and I went to get antidepressants, but then forgot about it. Got sacked from that job. And then I tried to commit suicide again. Uh, and then that's when I went to the Priory. So right. my mum luckily had a bit of money and I was a day patient at the Priory and that's when they found out all the diagnoses and like, it's p- possible that your son might have Asperger's. So, wow. Because mm. I, I... I hope this is okay to say it, but I... Yeah. I, um, I you're someone who I, I would... I knew that you were neurodivergent before you told me. Yeah. And I'm I sort of... As someone who knows you, I'm surprised that when you were at school... Because um, you're your family from it, but you grew up in the UK, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm surprised that that wasn't noticed at school that you, you. It was noticed when I was 18, and they diagnosed me with dyslexia, but I wasn't. And they said I could have dyspraxia, and apparently the dad went. My dad went to the doctors and told him that I have uh, I could have dyspraxia, and he said he, uh, he couldn't have gone to university otherwise mm-hmm. or get into uni, which is a load of rubbish. Either the doctor was lying or my dad was lying. So, so. I don't. I just want to flag this up. I I talked to someone who's in the education system recently, so I don't know if this is still the case from back when uh, we were in school. But now the rule is, is as a educator, if you see a neurodivergency within a student, you're not allowed to disclose that. Like, you're not allowed to go to the parent and be like, I think your kid That's is terrible, yeah. uh, autistic because you you don't have the... You, you don't have the criteria to make the diagnosis. So I mm. wonder if people saw it but weren't allowed to It's so say funny it. how Maybe. it feels I like think an that could have been a reason, yeah. It feels like an accusation that's like... And even I, like, I'm conscious... When I was saying then, you know, I noticed that you're neurodivergent, I'm conscious that, like, that might come across like 
as a rude thing, but there's no way it should be a rude thing. Yeah. No, it's not. If you notice someone's neurodivergent, then like that should be like, oh yeah, like yeah, you know, it should be a neutral thing to to yeah. notice. But it's um, it's like if someone goes, oh, by your accent, I can tell you're American. Yeah, I'm yeah, not like, okay. well, yeah. <laughs> you know? how dare you? How dare you notice? Like, it's very mild. It's like it's a mild American. You're slightly American. Yeah, so. slightly American. <laughs> but I think I actually remember when my dad died. There was a letter saying the school wrote to my parents saying that they might I might have a few learning difficulties. Uh-huh. come to think of it but yeah so my parents were probably too proud you know yeah they glossed over it and hopefully for the next generation it's getting better i mean in indian culture i was speaking to my second cousin like uh neurodivergence you can't come out as lgbt or anything it's just get an education get married become a doctor i know it's a stereotype but it's a stereotype for a reason because that's what a lot of middle class indian families want you know right mm-hmm. so so they, they, they don't want anything that's different so that's really interesting and it's good if you're if you've got, one for a better word if you've got no disabilities or you're not part of the lgbt then yeah then you'll be fine you know yeah i see what you mean people are like so it's that no, aspiration we yeah but it's quote unquote yeah, yeah. normal yeah we I just want I just want my my child to live a quote unquote uh, uh, people listening at home quotation uh, that that dream that boomer dream of like I just want my kid to grow up and have a normal life hundred percent hundred percent wife and kids in the mortgage yeah yeah or or neurodivergent you know? yeah 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 sorry I th- I think it's that they the culture has changed so much from, and I had a sort of similar thing when I had a sort of vague diagnosis as a child, but the culture was so different um, and it's changed so drastically. I've done work with young people now and it's it's so much, uh, things that if you're a young person, I know your life is hard. I know things are difficult. It's so much easier in terms of like accepting. The yeah, being present. Do you yeah. think that um, for uh, uh, in, in Indian culture you're saying there was these sort of attitudes are they also changing there as well or uh they're changing maybe in british asian families uh but probably not in um in india itself or a lot of third world countries so because you've got family in yeah, india most, yeah all yeah. my family are in india right much extended family most of them yeah i think they're definitely it depends on what type of i can't speak for the whole culture but uh, I think could you be the prime minister of <laughs> yeah, India yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. on behalf of India? I'm the spokesman for 1.4 billion people. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, I think I think it probably is changing. But the problem is with uh, the British Asian cultures; they like to preserve their culture, so um, they want you to marry with inside your culture as well. Because in Indian culture, it's not that bad in certain respects. Because if you marry someone white in Indian culture, how unlucky is that? I'm not saying it's unlucky, but, you know, there's a country with 1.4 billion people, and most, most of them brown, yeah? It's unlikely. That, it's yeah, unlikely, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, if your Indian mother said, there's 1.4 1. 1. billion brown people here, and how the F did he... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which that sounded rude, but in Indian culture, immigrant cultures like to protect themselves when they're in a different country, so... Right, okay. So... Yeah, yeah. So that's why they're probably more strict. They want to preserve it. We talked a bit, we had John Hastings on to talk about dyspraxia. Oh, I yeah, don't brilliant. think either of us still fully, we understand dyspraxia a little bit more, but it's to do with the communication between brain and body, basically, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So what, what does it mean for you being dyspraxic? Because yeah. it's a sort of cliche of, you know, dropping things all the time, that sort of thing, isn't it? Uh, for me, being dyspraxic means uh, I'm just really disorganized mm. uh, i can't do uh, it affects my coordination as well so i can't drive a car i can't swim i can't walk in a straight line uh, i lose things all the time so yeah it's just mean it's 
worked the worst term for it, but you can understand he's like clumsy childhood syndrome. So I'm just yes, turning it yeah, a little yeah. bit more clumsy and very disorganized compared to your average person. Right. But when people ask me what does dyspraxia mean, I just say I made it up because there's too many Indian comedians on the circuit. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Good, got to have your name. I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell everything, turn everything into a joke. I was told off for that as well. <laughs> just be more honest. But yeah, so yeah. No, we, we, we don't love being too honest here. It's all good. We can have whatever we want yeah. for the sound. They're all very different, the podcast. I'm trying to think of more. I, what it is, you've chosen the theme of ethnicity, and I'm a white man on a podcast. Yeah. So I'm a little bit trying to think of an appropriate question to, to ask that isn't going to work. Yeah, I yeah. think we keep it open to, to talk about anything, but yeah. I think also uh, Joe and I are marred by the fact that we were just talking about a... Uh, a white comedian <laughs> who recently got cancelled and now we're sitting here talking about ethnicity and we're like hey. <laughs> a white Canadian. what did I just say about the Indian caste system I shouldn't say that. <laughs> let me tell you I know a lot about uh, the Indian caste system Don because as a uh, yoga instructor in New York uh, <laughs> I learned a lot about it uh, no but uh, yeah no but thank you for uh, uh, the, just saying let's just keep it open uh, but I guess I guess the question is is like when we're talking here ah here's a question that I I am so curious about because we were talking about how people often get diagnosed uh, in white families mm. and uh, I think part of it is like uh, there's there's uh, more m- money like you can afford to go private for that yeah. sort of thing. When you were going to get diagnosed, did anyone have a hard time? believing you because you are Indian? Uh, is it harder to go through the medical system as an Indian man? Is as is my question. I think it was h- harder when I was undiagnosed because I didn't care. Because they couldn't, if they, as far as I can, if they couldn't see anything outwardly, that was, it wasn't a physical disability. But once, uh, uh, when, once I felt suicidal, it was quite easy actually. Because luckily my mum had a bit of money saved away. Mm-hmm. So I was extremely, I've got that privilege where my mum was a bit well off. My mum was well off. She could afford to go to the Priory. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, then it was easy then, yeah. So. I mean, that's not easy though, man. The fact that you had to attempt suicide for people to go, there might be something wrong with this fella. The fact that it had to go to that Uh, place, it was easy. Just, you know, (laughs) after I tried to kill myself, that's not easy. That's not easy, Don. That's your Britishness, right? (laughs) You know, it was a bit of a kerfuffle. Well, you know, just a little bit of suicide, you know. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I guess um, it all made sense afterwards. Uh, I guess it wasn't easy, but other than that school, when they told me about dyspraxia when I studied my A-levels, I might have it. It never clocked my mind at all. Mm. And having the ADHD, I was in my own world. So uh, I, I don't know whether it was easy or not. I, I only found it hard after I left university and I struggled to hold down a job. Mm. Right, I struggled to make yeah. friends when I was younger, but I was in my own world, so I didn't really care. So. Is there a thing where we talk about like communication, it's sort of assumed that could be sort of, a, people would attribute that to like, you know, he's, he's in a family where English isn't the first language or whatever, mm. like, you know, or, or even if that person isn't in the family. Yeah, yeah. Like, does that happen where sort of difficulties communicating 
uh, might not be picked up in ethnic minorities? I think so, yeah, uh, because my mum's not the greatest English speaker. She's uh, Beng- She speaks uh, fluently Bengali better. So, yeah, maybe that's it. So maybe just focusing on English, they don't pick up on other things. Mm. But I think my mum might be on the spectrum as well, so she probably failed to notice as well. So. Yeah, Do you yeah. speak Bengali? Uh, I used to speak it near fluently, but not, not much now. But, mm. So... I heard that Benjamin Zephaniah told a story about how he was at, um, for people who don't know, Benjamin Zephaniah is a black British poet. And uh, he was at school, he's dyslexic. And when he was struggling to write, his teacher said, oh, well, people like you aren't good at writing. You can go outside and play football. And that was sort of a part of how him being dyslexic was missed because there was that racist stereotype yeah. of, you know, well, you're not going to be good at, you're not very clever anyway. Yeah, so that's terrible. That's, um, did, do, you, do you think that, that, did you have anything like that when you were growing up or? Didn't you listen? No, because his parents were like, why aren't you a doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think at school they... Even you're the missed. opposite. People just expect you to be a doctor. Exactly. And at school they missed it because dyspraxia wasn't that well known in the 90s. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so... That's not that well, well known now. I think we're, we confuse people when we've put stuff up about dyspraxia people are like what 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 is this you spelled dyslexia wrong <laughs> yeah. yeah they think it's an eastern european country or something yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's so it's nice just to let people know what it is and yeah 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 from dyspraxia yeah <laughs> do you feel like in your mind because you you have dyspraxia adhd and are autistic do you feel like they war in your mind? Like my my partner is both ADHD and autistic, mm. and sometimes he feels like they're constantly at war with each other. Do you feel that in your own diagnosis? Well, uh, another diagnosis I have, I am clinic. I have clinical depression, so for me, most of the day I just feel really tired. Uh-huh. So uh, I can manage it well, so I can gig and stuff, and I and enjoy life. But yeah. But when it gets really bad, I'm just tired. So none of that comes into fruition. I just shut down and just mm. go to sleep. So for me, uh, uh, maybe being the autism maybe makes me worry about everything all the time. But the, but the ADHD, I don't worry so much because if I got, I've, because I've got something else to focus on, if something else comes along, then I just focus on that straight away. Mm-hmm. And I forget what I was thinking about before. So, mm-hmm. so basically, I'm all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm not all over the place, I'm a little bit depressed and I just shut down. So, and I just, yeah. I think that's going to be a subtitle is basically I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much, yeah. So I think that's one of the, uh, there's a book called There's No Such Thing as Laziness. A, a lot of people who, who can't get things done is because uh, maybe they, uh, maybe they're not ready to do that thing or something. Maybe because it's got to do with neurodiversity and stuff like that. So, you know. Mm. I have a question about your comedy because I feel like your jokes always seem like precision wrote where there's sort of there's no there's no fat on the joke at all you know it's just like the minimum amount of words you can get to get to the punchline mm. is that because I'm so is that sort of it feels like that's quite an autistic like approach to a comedy you know of working out the exact the exact pattern of this is how this joke can work. What's what's your writing process? I think it is an autistic uh, approach, but I also think it's ADHD because ah. I I can't do long form content, which they which was a criticism of my last show, which is like he doesn't do anything longer. Uh, we like to know more and stuff. So the future is short form, so you're yeah, going to be okay exactly, yeah. <laughs> with climate change. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I didn't feel like I didn't think we're all going to die. I yeah. bet. <laughs> 
<laughs> quick, get your one-liners in quickly before the ice caps melt. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was the question again? <laughs> you write such beautifully succinct jokes. My favourite one, and I, so, I apologise for doing the do the joke thing, but you have a joke about Rishi Sunak that I think is a perfect joke. Yeah, the joke is uh, now we have Rishi Sunak, our first ever British Indian Prime Minister. Or as his parents call it, still not a doctor. Beautiful. <laughs> that is such a lovely... What's the... What's the writing process behind that? Because it feels like so... That other, other like long, longer form material, I can sort of imagine someone going, oh, I want to talk about this and working out the bits. But that's just such a beautifully formed joke. I just, that joke just came to me. And then I remember watching an episode of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and they're all having a go at Howard. Mm. Right. Well, which the character, because everyone in his group got a, a doctorate. And so he's still not a doctor. So maybe it's come from that. So, but... Yeah. It's still a completely different joke, though, isn't it? It's, but yeah. it's, it's similar-ish in the sense that when... Uh, because I want to make sure I'm nicking the joke, but when Penny goes to every... Penny goes to... Um, who's in Big Bang Theory, goes to Howard, you're still not a doctor, are you? So maybe it's similar to that. So Yeah, it's, it's a lovely joke. What, what is your writing process? I, I think it comes from that, just from what, whatever I can bring it out of. It, uh, whatever comes into my mind or when I'm asleep, so... Wait, okay, so this is my question. When you say whenever it comes into my mind, or what are you dreaming in perfect? Yeah, the, the when I'm asleep like, is the like, thing. Do you, do you sit down, as someone who has written all of five one-liners in her entire career, because they're like doing math to me, like do you have to like, do you sit down with a piece of paper and mm. figure it out, like cut with, with the word economy and... No, I do it on Facebook mainly, and then I forget about it. And then someone told me to check your Twitter feed just to see if you've got any more one-liners in your set you forget about. But for me, what I do when before I go to bed, I watch about three hours of TikTok. So, and that's just when just like the mind just keeps going elsewhere. And then I think, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Or if I'm watching a TikTok about politics or the Republicans, oh, I can write a joke about that. So, mm. so it's just when I'm completely switched off, and then your subconscious starts working. So it's almost like free association. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But how do we get Cause I, to Because I do that where I'll wake up at two in the morning and be like, I have a brilliant idea for a comedy. I, this is the, for a comedy. I'm going to open this. This is amazing. Make a little note in my phone. And I'll wake up in the morning and be like, what the fuck was that? You know? I get that as well, but yeah. So, But, but yeah. Like, yeah, like I get the idea of, of kind of like zoning out and then being like, oh, this is a good idea. But how does it get... How does it get to be so short and perfect? How does it become a one-liner? Well, I was speaking to um, another... Give comedian. us your secrets. Tell us how to... Julian Dean, who's mm. a great one-liner comedian, he couldn't do a gig in a cruise ship because he's only got 45 minutes of material. Mm. About, about that, he didn't have enough material. He's been going 16 years, and it's the same for me. I've only got about an hour of material, really, and that's spanned over 16 years. So I've let it grow organically. So, right. of all the one-liners I have, I'll have a handful that are decent. It's like when, uh, I don't want to compare myself, he's probably the, one of the greatest comedians ever, Mickey Flanagan. His first hour was homed over like 10, 12 years. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got so massively big. And that's, for me, my first hour was after 10 years. And it's been six years since I've done another hour. So, it's just a very slow, organic process. I haven't forced it. So Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I guess I could... Like as a storyteller, I can turn over ideas quicker because because there's a lot of facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 also, it's just I I don't like to use the word, but I'm incredibly lazy, so I just I don't want to force it. So 
And yeah, so yeah. so it's after six years I'm doing my first, another hour again. So. You're like the you're, you're like the uh, Rihanna of comedy. You're like I'll get to an album when I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> album. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I suppose it's, that's one of the things with comedy that's just and this is the theme of the podcast. But people's brains work differently, and when your brain doesn't work that way. It is just baff. Like we're like, what? Well, but how? How does that work? You know. I remember doing a uh, like a sort of t- trial thing for a, a TV thing, which didn't get made. Made in the end. I, w- I met um, Sam Holness, who's a brilliant um, autistic triathlete, and uh, I was talking to him, and uh, I said, "Well, look, when I go running, I run for a bit and then go. Oh, I want to stop because it hurts my leg. Because I want to stop." how do you not stop and he was like well you just keep running and it was like we're just our brains even though we're both autistic work in different ways you know he just has that focus that goes keep running exactly and and i just can't my brain will never go keep running my brain will always go there's a vending machine over there (laughs) (laughs) but like to to bring it back to comedy one of the questions we always get asked from younger comics is what if i bomb you just keep writing. You just keep getting Yeah, yeah. Like some people, like if that happened to them, they could never do it again. Whereas like, oh no, I, I had a, a group of people stare at me for 45 minutes unhappily. So I went out and did comedy the next night. Some yeah. people could not imagine doing it. I think that's, it's when you have like, like a hard death is like a weirdly liberating. I yeah, remember bombing at late and live, you know, mm. where they're all booing me. And then I'm like, well, let's just let's just goad them. Yeah, uh, and it's a weirdly like sort of liberating thing because you realise that it doesn't matter. It doesn't no, matter if, if everyone yeah. in a room hates you. You know who you are. You you're standing there. They would never be up there on that stage. And it it's, it's weird. I think I think as a as a sort of therapeutic thing, everyone should have the experience of being on stage and being booed. See, this is my problem. I don't have good bombing stories like that. All of my bombing stories are they silently listened and waited for me to get fired. And and that's what kills me is when when they're not responding at all. But because they're not responding, I can't get mad because they're like, no, we are totally focused on what you are saying. (laughs) We are waiting to relate to it. And that's when I'm like, you never you've never been booed off. Not for real. Sometimes I'll say something. Sometimes I'll say I'm American and people boo me. Yeah. Uh, but that they're doing that. In, like, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I take that as fun. Uh, when I get booed for uh, my nationality, I'm like, no, oh, nah, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of them. Badger. Uh, but I've never, well, except for that one, one time I told you about earlier today. I suppose because what you do is so, like, you're such a good performer. Yeah. Like... Even if people aren't enjoying it, they must be looking, going, she's giving us everything. Yeah. You know, whereas I think when my stuff struggles, I imagine with you as well, Don, like there's an element of like, this guy isn't even fucking trying to entertain us. And that's more antagonistic to an audience. I've I've stopped caring now. I've got a gig tonight. If it goes badly, I don't really care. Yeah. (laughs) That's when I started getting better because I I did open spots. I kept dying on my ass. And I thought, Mm. you know, what's the point of this? You know, you only get one shot. But that is so true, though. Once you stop caring, you do get better because you're like, well, let's see. You start to explore more instead of being like, this is how it has to be, Mm. you know? But that's how you spot like a new comic, isn't it? That you can see when they walk on stage. They're going, please like me. I've got to do my best. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I always used to, when I'd open, do like a very cop like, hello, like that to open. 
because that was like a comfort thing. Yeah. Everyone go hello back, and I'm like, we're off, you know. Yeah. And uh, but now I'm sort of doing that less because it is a comfort thing. It is sort of trying to please please them. And... Confidence is just such an important thing for stand up comedy. Yeah. Because yeah. you've you've sort of made it feels like you've from the outside you've made a bit of a jump past couple of years. You've been on Radio Four. You're starting to sort of get record. Is that because of your agent, is that like a jump it's, in your own confidence? Or it's it's because of, of his hard work. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, but you're working hard for a long time, and and, and you know, it, it, there's been it's suddenly paid off. I think neurodiversity and disability is right at the forefront now, and yeah. I think I hit the site guys there, and also having the 15 years experience behind me also helped. So yeah, I think that's what the they're looking for something different, maybe. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, but you got so, it to back. You got the the experience to back it up, I guess. Yeah, yeah, hundred ten percent. But like that's, uh, and I know sometimes he said some things that people don't like. But Bill Burr is someone who once talked about comedy. It's like if it happens too early in your career, you're not ready for it. He goes, if it happens later, like your success, yeah, like yeah. right now, like Bill Burr calls it, like you're standing on granite. Like, mm. you've got this. You have the foundation. 100%. So, like, when Radio 4 and all your writing work comes in, it's like, I know how to do this, as opposed to being like, I was just given a, a chance, and I'm a five-minute open spot, and, and now I'm on television, and, and, and then you don't have the gear, the experience to back it up. Yeah, that's why I'm doing my second show after 16 years, and I'm not too worried. If it Six goes, years, right? 16 years. 16 years, okay. So, yeah, so, I did my... Wait yeah. a minute. You did your first, first one hour. after 10 years, and now six years later. Yeah, six, so, yeah, so six, wait, six years 16. from the first one, yeah. okay, 16 from sorry. starting. I right. thought you meant 16 between the first and now. I was like, how fuck old, old are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like Benjamin Button, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's my first show, second show in six years. So okay. 16 years of experience behind me. So, so yeah, so I can. Well, what's the show about then? It's called The Revolution Will Be Disorganised. Lovely. <laughs> Absolutely lovely. Great. No, and just dispatching politics in the thing. I wanted to call it dispatching politics, but turns out that's a rubbish title and mm. too literal. Yeah. And it's just me talking about politics, how we can achieve, achieve a revolution and a few bits about neurodiversity. So, yeah. Awesome. That's a beautiful title. Isn't it? That, it's like, like the Gilded Balloon. So, for, uh, yeah. So, yeah. 9.40. So. Love, yeah. Lovely. So, oh, I'm so excited. Oh, this will be great. Um, I'm not going to Edinburgh, but I'll catch a preview or when you do it at Soho when you come home. <laughs> uh, shall we? Uh, I think it's wrap up time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Don, you've mentioned your Edinburgh show coming up. Uh, where else can people find you or find your stuff? What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch? Get Follow me at Don Bishop's Comedy on Twitter. Also Instagram and uh, TikTok. But Twitter is the main thing. So, okay. yeah. uh, because uh, I am so disorganized that I can't remember the password to log into my own website. <laughs> So, yeah, so my website's been obsolete for, like, five months. (laughs) And I haven't done anything about it. I will do something about it eventually. If anyone can help Don out of his computer, then. Yeah, Yeah. my password, yeah. I don't want to explain the internet to you, but there's always that section where you can press forgot my password. Yeah, I know. I, I love that we're, we're all about smashing stereotypes and you're an Indian autistic yeah, man and you're bad at computers. That's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, also, yeah, it's an old email address as well. So. Oh, you're fucked. You're yeah, fucked, but, yeah. Still on Yahoo. But yeah, I, I did a gig for um, a tech company, a, a funny people gig, and there was in Switzerland, and there was two um, white comedians disabled, and they both worked in tech. 
and they're talking about how they work in IT. And then I just went on and said, I look like I work in IT. So, <laughs> so yeah, got a big laugh. Nice, easy laugh. So, yeah. But, yeah, one day I'll sort my website out. That's the point. So. But the Gilded Balloon, 9.40 yeah. p.m., I'm assuming. Yeah, p.m., yeah. I was going to say, no, one, no comedians are going to a 9.40 a.m. show. No, 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 no. but I'll be the only 9.40 a.m. show there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so there'll, there'll be no competition. I, I, my show's always at midday, and I tell people about it, and the comedians go, oh, no, I get up about two in the afternoon. So that's sad. Yeah. I'll get up that early. Uh, I, I, good, good luck with the show. It's yeah, good luck with your show as well. We need a neurodivergent moment before you can leave, though. Uh. I did, I did, it's not usually that threatening. Yeah. I'm sorry, but usually it's like that. Uh, John, we always ask our guests uh, for a neuro. Lock the door. <laughs> Before you leave. Uh, this is a, I'm very impulsive when I go shopping and buying. If I, I've got a lot of nieces and nephews, and if I have to buy them something, I look around Oxford Street, I look around all day. It's not even funny, but I just, if I want something, that's all my mind focuses on. I forgot about the rest of my life. So, like, my, like, niece, she's looking for the latest toy. I'm, like, eight, about ten hours, like, just looking around toy shops, and w- which is not great as a adult male, just going from toy shop to toy <laughs> shop. Yeah. You, you look a bit, uh, you know what? So, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of you turning up late to your gig and be like, oh, yeah, sorry, my, my niece wants a new Pokemon or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, so. That's how I'm obsessed. I want to give her the best present possible. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, I'd spend hours just aimlessly looking around, so... <laughs> So if you see Don skulking around toy shops, don't yeah, worry. Exactly. It's fine. Yeah. Well, well, that's my cover story. So. <laughs> awesome. Don, thank you so thank much. You much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. That was Don Biswas. What a great interview. He's, he's fantastic. He's so much it's, fun. It's time, it's almost the end of the episode, but it's time for Neurodivergent Moments. Do, do you have a Neurodivergent Moment this week? Yeah, so uh, this is a two-parter. Um, I was on a cruise ship, and I have a joke talking about my uh, partner's diagnosis with autism. And the line is, Tom told me that he was autistic, and I said, you're not autistic, you're just English. And I said that on a cruise, and the entire room booed. Wow. And I would like to pretend that they booed because they thought that is not the correct way to react when someone tells you you're autistic. But I think uh, they didn't like it because I was equating Englishness to autism. So cut to two months later, same ship, just got off it, did the same joke. And I started by going, my boyfriend thought he might be autistic. And the room cheered. Ah. So those are two very different cruise ships. Yeah, but it was the wow. same ship, two different people. It's not necessarily a moment, but I like the idea of uh, the P&O RV as slowly becoming uh, taken over. Yeah, more progressive <laughs> and slowly taken over by neurodivergent people. <laughs> we will rule the seas eventually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. We have some listener moments. We've had some fantastic ones. Um, I think we've got sort of more than we could ever read out at the moment. Yeah, which is great. And by all means, even though we said we had more than we could ever read out, please always send your uh, neurodivergent moments either on our social media, which also please follow, NDM underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and or our email account, neurodivergentmoments.com. 
pod at gmail.com. Uh, I have one um, from B. Bentle. Um, and it's a lovely moment about uh, going to the Manchester Punk Festival. And uh, they nearly ran out of the room because the lead singer was dressed as a scary clown nurse. But then the introduction to this punk band, uh, as the um, punk band are coming on, is the Button Mo- Moon theme tune, which for B was uh, their... Um, v- that was the VCR tape I watched over and over again as a small child. And I happy flapped and nearly burst into tears of nostalgic joy. I love the idea of a punk festival and... Uh, and uh the butter mood theme comes in that's what uh that's what punks want to hear oh <laughs> everyone just waiting for some uh for some loud punk music but uh no this is this is what i'm here for yeah the butter yeah. moon theme bit of nostalgia bit of nostalgia i love that and now i have to google that theme oh it's have... you might know yeah. what butter moon is, is it? i don't know i mean it's one of those is. things that's like i imagine that's what americans think all british children's television is and it sort of was like that it's weirdly twee what i what i'm picturing is the same reaction i would have if a punk band uh walked on stage and opened with the theme song from ducktales i'd lose my shit that would be the greatest thing ever <laughs> uh, but button moon is a lot a lot more low budget than uh i mean just do a quick google image search of button moon and uh Okay, it's, hold on. Um, Let me look this up. <laughs> it's very much the Ducktales to Butter Moon is the difference between Britain and, uh, and oh, America. Oh, okay. Is it like stop clay animation, but not clay? Yeah, but like sort of weirdly sort of two D. Oh it's, god! Uh... <laughs> wow, what is this? Hold on. Isn't that incredible? That is a, a British institution. Can you hear this? I, I can, yeah. <laughs> I don't think the listener will be able to, though. It's very slight. We're, we're, I'm gonna, oh, I'm, wow. I'm gonna... Okay. That's all I need to hear. Uh, that's <laughs> not nearly as cool as DuckTales, I'll be honest. But I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate how awesome that would have been for you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so this is from Laura. Hi. Here's one of my many neurodivergent moments. After my goddaughter's christening, we were at a friend's house where we were celebrating eating cake, etc. A nightmare in itself with a bouncy castle and lots of screaming children. My friend, mom of goddaughter, proudly brought out a bottle of expensive champagne, saying her dad, who sadly died around seven years ago, bought her this and said, She's been saving it for a really special occasion. Everyone was taking photos, saying how special it is, etc. I really didn't read the room. I just said really loud, I prefer Prosecco. It tastes much (laughs) nicer than champagne. Everyone started laughing at me, and I was like, what? I was very confused. LOL. I was just stating my opinion, but didn't really realize for a bit that I hadn't read the mood correctly. <laughs> Love the podcast. Please both tour in Skipton or Leeds. Uh, Joe, are you going to Leeds? I'm not going to Leeds. It's not anything personal against Leeds. Um, but I, I was in um, near Harrogate. Uh, so you, you could have, that's not too far from Leeds. But, but you've um, already done it. Next time. Yeah, yeah. You missed yeah. me, I'm afraid. Sorry, um, sorry, Laura. But I love but that. I, lo- I love the... I, whenever there's a neurodivergent moment we get sent that contains something like, and then they spoke about 
their dead father or something like that. You know, you know that there's going to be a good moment coming. And just like, I've saved this for a special occasion for seven <laughs> years. You know what I like? Sainsbury's Prosecco. That's where I'm at. I on champagne wholly agree though. I did a, I did a gig once at a fancy arts club in Paris. It was very very swish, and they brought out three hundred fifty euro champagne. Um, it was fine. Yeah, it was a bit gross, but it was I, I could drink it. I thought I'd rather have the cash of this on top of my fee if I'm honest. <laughs> I once, get a 10-pound bottle of Prosecco. Exactly. I once did a long-haul flight with Air France, and they were serving booze, and usually when they serve fizz on a flight, it's Prosecco. So mm. without thinking, I just looked at him, and I was like, do you have Prosecco? And you'd think the flight attendant, like, slapped – I slapped her in the face. She goes, do you mean <laughs> champagne? And I was like, yeah, champagne, sure. And the guy next to me was like, you are on the wrong airline to ask for Prosecco. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think the air steward had had uh, their father had died and, and uh, that was, they'd left some champagne to <laughs> Air France? Saving it for a special occasion. Me yeah. in the back row to ask her for Prosecco instead. <laughs> Prosecco's not, you're right. Prosecco's nicer. That's yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know. In all honesty, I don't know which one is nicer, um, but that's just it. Like, I can't tell the difference between a mm. 350 bottle of champagne and a bottle of Prosecco. I, I just like the, the bubbles. Same. Yeah, yeah. They tickle my uh, I, I, have, I have one more. Go um, for it. From our, our good friend, um, uh, Ribs Norman, who runs some fantastic gigs in Kent. Um, Ribs says, I recently had a job interview the first I've had in a decade. The job was for a science technician in a school. When asked what I would do if I saw a beaker of unidentified liquid, I blurted out, well, I wouldn't drink it. <laughs> then they asked me if they would find anything untoward on my social media. And I said, you won't find any dodgy drunken photos because I've been sober for five years. I might as well have said, hire me. I make inappropriate jokes under stress and have problems with addiction. Uh, although funny thing is I got the job. So uh, congratulations on your job, Riffs. Congratulations, and I think we learned <laughs> honesty is key. Honesty is the best policy. <laughs> Ribs <laughs> mentions we can we can say because Ribs is is a, an alias, so um, uh, we can mention Ribs is a uh, uh, comedy name. Yeah, yeah, and uh, oh god, I love that. Well, I wouldn't drink it. It's like, <laughs> what, what would you do with it? Not drink it. I promise you that. You know why? Because it's not prosecco, and that's what I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Uh, in one week's time, we'll have Don's mini sode come out on the Patreon. So please, by all means, if you want to and can, sign up for the Patreon. And if you can't, no big deals. It's all good. And uh, we'll see you in a fortnight, if not see you on in the a Patreon night. Bye. Take care. Bye.